The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for physical stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. Fiscal stimulus talks heat up. This, as Dr. Fauci says, dark days are ahead. Meanwhile, Georgia, debate in Georgia. What does it mean for the Senate? Lots to get through as U.S. COVID deaths match April peak with hospitals filling fast. Stocks drop amid virus surge. This as U.S. COVID deaths match April peak with hospitals still filling. We're going to check in later in the next hour with Senator Ben Cardin, a Democrat from Delaware. But first, Dr. Anthony Fauci says dark days are ahead. Without substantial mitigation, the middle of January can be a really dark time for us. But hope is on the way, especially in the big pharmaceutical development space. Secretary of Health Alex Azar, appearing on ABC News' This Week, said that the COVID-19 vaccine will be available to everyone by the second quarter of 2021. We're going to focus on those most vulnerable and those most on the front lines of treating people with COVID with the initial 40 million doses in the next month. And then we're just going to progressively keep adding more and more people. So be thinking in the February, March time frame that you're going to see more general vaccination. And by the second quarter of next year, we'll, we'll have enough vaccine for every American that wants it. Meanwhile, on the domestic political front, my sources tell me all throughout the day today, they're incredibly optimistic about passing a fiscal stimulus deal before the end of the year. And take a listen to what Senator Bill Cassidy, a Republican from Louisiana, told Fox News earlier. Now, neither have said, hell, we'll sign your bill. That's fair. We have final language. Our final language, Chris, will probably come out early this week, earlier this week. Uh, And so then people can look at it and we can modified as needed. But the indications I get, the pain of the American people is driving this, and I'm optimistic that both those leaders will come on board. Jordan Fabian is a Bloomberg White House reporter. Jordan, when will we get that deal, and when will folks get fiscal stimulus relief? It's hard to say, Kevin, uh, when that deal might come. Uh, Congress still has to pass a funding bill to keep the government open, and they might consider a stimulus package at the same time it seems like they're narrowing the differences with this bipartisan proposal that's, uh, that's been offered by a group of senators here in Washington. And you heard Larry Kudlow, the president's top economic advisor, say uh, that what, Trump would likely sign that. But the question is whether the Senate and the House can find the votes to pass that or something like it into law. So diving into my Bloomberg terminal, our colleagues Eric Wasson and Laura Litvin write, quote, talks over a $908 billion pandemic relief plan have slowed, with negotiators still working to resolve key details on state and local aid, as well as liability protections for businesses. Now, Jordan, you and I both know that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has been incredibly, incredibly pushing for the liability protections for businesses and of, of all sizes. And it would really create a legal quagmire for many small businesses uh, should this not be included. But I'm struck by this because our colleagues are also reporting that lawmakers are still wrangling over a $1.4 trillion omnibus bill that you've alluded to to fund the government into 2021 to which the COVID-19 package would be attached. I read that. I mesh it with my reporting and, and who I'm talking with, Jordan, and I'm curious for what you're hearing, which is... This is less about the stimulus and more about the omnibus. Yeah, I think that's right. I think there's a chance the omnibus, uh, because that's must-pass legislation uh, to avoid a government shutdown, that uh, one side or the other can kind of force a deal there and attach maybe not the entire stimulus package, but some part of it, like 
uh, this like parts that both sides agree on, like aid uh, for small businesses and uh, you know additional uh, stimulus checks and, and, and things like that to to a stimulus package, and then have the Congress come back early next year with Joe Biden as president, and then continue the work on these issues. Which, frankly, I mean, you mentioned state and local aid and this liability shield. These have been the issues that have held the stimulus debate up for months now, and there's not really any indication that that debate is going to be resolved anytime soon. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, Steny Hoyer, who, of course, is uh, one of the top Democrats in Democratic leadership in the House, you know, he's saying that not getting a deal done is not on the table. So they're they're incredibly optimistic about this. But then I, I dive into the data coming from the COVID-19 front and the seven day average of reported fatalities rose to 2,201 on Sunday just one shy of the peak from April 18th. And of course, the incredible data research coming out at John Hopkins University. The average daily deaths had been predicted in the range of about 1,600 to 1,800 through December 26th. And already it has it has uh, sur- surpassed that, uh, according to the scientists. So it, it would appear, Jordan, that the, that the science and the data and the horrific nature of this virus peaking again in the winter is adding a new sense of urgency and outweighing the politics. Yeah, it's interesting, Kevin, because I, mean, I think you make a good point there that there have been these events that have happened that would seem to hasten some urgency here in Washington for a stimulus package. I would add to that, you know, last week's disappointing jobs report, there was a lot of talk that and oh, I think Wall Street believed that that would sort of pave the way for a deal. But as you mentioned, the talks have slowed down a bit, and it does seem that while you know the, the both sides recognize that there is urgency and people really want to need the stimulus, they, it still hasn't been enough to bridge the final hurdles here. So again, I think you know when we talk about Steny Hoyer saying there will be a stimulus, what does that look like? I mean, we could be talking about something that's very pared down. Uh, something that both sides agree on, but leaving out the more contentious aspects and punting that toward next year. I want to get to the nuts and bolts of the omnibus, especially for Washington, D.C., which, of course, is an industry town. Leader McConnell on the Senate floor today, I bolded this, I underlined it in my notebook, that they are likely, if they don't get to a deal on the omnibus, they're going to avert a government shutdown by likely passing a one-week extension. So that would allow them, it would get them more time to continue with the negotiations. Neither Leader McConnell nor Speaker Pelosi are saying that they're not going to get to a deal. So again, uh, in terms of averting a partial government shutdown, which of course has significant effects for government employees, they are likely going to pass a one-week extension should they not be able to get to some type of deal uh, by December 11th, which is which is Friday. Maybe they'll surprise us. Okay, switching gears, where you are, Jordan Fabian, Bloomberg White House reporter. The president was in Georgia over the weekend. How was he received? Well, he was received uh, pretty warmly by his loyal supporters there at the rally, but uh, among Georgia Republicans, maybe not so much, because uh, he did exactly what they did not want him to do, which is spend a lot of time at this rally that was supposed to be for the Republican Senate candidates who are facing re-election in early January, talking about you know this unfounded claims of voter fraud and also attacking the state's Republican leaders, the governor and the secretary of state, who have refused his entreaties to overturn the election and, and uh, appoint electors to return him to office. So uh, you had this sort of split screen where the president's reading off the teleprompter these lines about the senators, but really spent a lot more time talking about his own election, and that's not what national Republicans wanted him to go down there and do. 38 cases, 38 cases from the Trump campaign have been tossed out by judges. Earlier today, the president speaking at the White House, continuing to peddle false misinformed claims about the 2020 election. Here he is. This was like from a third world nation. And I think the case has been made. And now we find out what we can do about it. But you'll see a lot of big things happening over the next couple of days. What are those big things, Jordan? I mean, it's really not clear what he's talking about. I mean, maybe they'll file more lawsuits, but those are just as likely to be thrown out in court. And, you know, frankly, the president is looking increasingly uh, desperate and, frankly, pathetic here with how he's treating the last two weeks of his administration. As we just talked about, Kevin, you know, the country is facing a massive COVID spike, really in need of of, uh, of stimulus and, and, frankly, leadership on this on this p- pandemic. And the president 
has really spent all of his time talking about this effort to overturn the election, which A, isn't based on yeah. fact, and B, is not really has, doesn't have any chance to succeed. All right, I'm going to quote my mentor and friend here, Tom Keene. I'm going to cut to the chase. All right, is the Washington football team going to beat the Steelers at five? Well, I sure hope so, Kevin. We'll see what happens. Who should be starting, Jalen Hurts or Carson Wentz for my Eagles? I think I think Hurts has got to get I could not agree with you more. (laughs) I could not agree with you more, Jordan Fabian. I could not agree with you more. There is a quarterback controversy back home. And you know what? You know who's the most popular player on a team that's losing? The backup quarterback. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Coming up, we're also going to check in with Tammy Haddad of Haddad Media on this News coming from the Wall Street Journal, MSNBC to name Rashida Jones president, succeeding Phil Griffin, a major development on the media front for NBC Universal. Tammy will uh, navigate through all of that. But first, let's dive into what happened in the markets today. Rita Nazareth and Claire Ballantyne, both who have been on the show, uh, report on the Bloomberg terminal stocks fell as coronavirus infections swept across U.S. states, triggering fears of more restrictions. The pound paired losses as the UK agreed on further talks with the European Commission to address the impasse over a trade deal. The S&P 500 dropped from an all-time high, led by energy, real estate, and financial companies. Intel tumbled on the news that Apple is planning a series of new Mac processors for introduction as early as 2021. Trevor has... I'm on a first name... uh, Basis with Trevor Hanger, who is a strategic advisor with Forbes Tate Partners in Washington, D.C., has a, a note that I have been reading now pretty much almost daily because uh, it's a really good note in terms of insight into what the financial Wall Street crowd is going to be looking for. And I've added it to my Greg Vallier type of lineup. So, Trevor, that's what happened in the markets today. Where do you see the currents going in the next 24 to 48 hours? Well, I think you had an interesting day today where you had some of that uh, initial negative news coming out of those um, Brexit talks um, that weighed on you know European markets for a bit. Uh, you had some news out of um, the Trump administration potentially levying more sanctions um, onto, um, uh, onto some Chinese uh, businessmen and executives and, and party members. Uh, so I think there was this overhang around um, some international developments, and then obviously you've got this this current running through around whether or not the vaccine, you know, the, the um, pandemic is, is accelerating. Um, how far away are we to um, actually seeing the, you know, a vaccine plan in place uh, and, and seeing the first um, folks in the U.S. get, get access to that? Uh, and then you had, you know, this, uh, these ongoing negotiations on Capitol Hill um, around the budget, around stimulus. Uh, and so, you know, I think what you're seeing now is, uh, you're likely to get more, I think, continuing momentum 
in those negotiations. Um, I think from a market's perspective, you got some good news uh, potentially out of, out of those Brexit talks at the, the end of the day. Um, it was a risk-off day today, but it was a pretty mild risk-off day, I all wanna, things being equal, and I, I don't think there's much to worry about that. I want to get to the geopolitics coming up, but first let's start on the vaccination front, because the Sunday show is really driving some of the conversation for the markets uh, over the weekend. And, and I think it bears repeating, Secretary of Health Alex Azar said to ABC uh, on Sunday this week that vaccine could be available to everyone in the U.S. by the second quarter. Here he is. We're going to focus on those most vulnerable and those most on the front lines of treating people with COVID with the initial 40 million doses in the next month. And then we're just going to progressively keep adding more and more people. So be thinking in the February, March time frame that you're going to see more general vaccination. And by the second quarter of next year, we'll, we'll have enough vaccine for every American that wants it. Trevor Hanger, you hear the sound on that. And how are the markets interpreting that timetable as well as the competing timetables from the likes of Dr. Anthony Fauci, who are saying the vaccination might not come for for the mass public until the third quarter of next year? I think there remains more than cautious uh, optimism uh, within markets around um, vaccine distribution um, and sort of mass, you know, inoculation that way. Uh, I think it was Goldman who over the weekend um, didn't really ramp up their 2021 GDP forecast so much as they pulled forward those growth estimates, um, really focusing on, you know, a better first quarter and a better second quarter, um, you know, better first half, I guess you'd say, rather than um, watching that that GDP growth uh, spread out a little further into the into the third quarter there. So I think, you know, markets are, are generally going to be optimistic about this. And I think um, they're, they're inclined to believe that there's the, the makings of a plan in place in the current administration, um, that there's every reason to believe that um, the transition to the Biden administration will run smoothly on that uh, front and that uh, the Biden administration can hit the ground running and really see this, this through. Trevor Hanger's with us. Uh, he's uh, a strategic advisor with Forbes State Partners in Washington, D.C. So that's what's happening on the vaccination front. Now let's talk Congress, because Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, essentially speaking on the Senate floor today, calming some of the aides and legislative assistants who were nervous that not reaching a government funding deal by Friday at the stroke of midnight would launch into a partial government shutdown. What Leader McConnell did today was say they would kick the can down the road for another week and that it would provide more time for lawmakers to negotiate a $908 billion fiscal stimulus that's going to be attached to the government funding uh, omnibus. So, Trevor, I say all of that because what are the markets looking for in this week for some certainty coming from the halls of Congress? I think there's this element uh, within markets and for investors, a little bit of this, you know, does Lucy pull the football away again the way they felt <laughs> in September and October? And I got to um, interrupt. I, I got to interrupt because I am a huge Snoopy Comics fan and my godson, Petey Nix, back home in Delco, he dressed up as Charlie Brown. He's like four, three and a half years old and he dressed up as Charlie Brown. So anytime I hear that, I think of, I think of my godson. But go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Not that anyone no, so, I mean, I think it's, it's a great it's a, comic. It's a, it's a great universal analogy, right? <laughs> and, and there's some truth to it. I think you know markets are are uh, more accustomed maybe now to uh, to this than, than they were a couple months ago, uh, and I think they're expecting to get something done here. I think that it's important to remember that there are a lot of moving parts to this. As you mentioned, it's not just the fiscal stimulus bill, and there's obviously still some um, some negotiating to be done there. You've also got you know the the budget negotiations that are taking place. Separately, you've got, you know, trying to put the finishing touches on the NDAA. Um, and so there's a lot going on to try and wrap up here in the last couple of weeks. I think, you know, Congress has gotten pretty comfortable with the idea of passing these short-term continuing resolutions to keep the government open as they hammer out these final, uh, you know, these final terms here um, kind of inside the 10-yard line. Um, and I think, you know, uh, all the the major players in in these negotiations are saying the right thing. You know, you highlighted what um, Senate Majority Leader McConnell said today, but I think you know all parties involved seem to be saying the right things and taking the right steps toward getting um, something significant done before the end of the year. Let me ask you. Usually, the final question is on the U.S. China front, but today it was all about Brexit. What happened with Brexit today, and why did it impact the markets? So you know, there is a you know, we've 
we've talked, or I shouldn't say we, but, you know, markets have thought, uh, have battled a long time around this, and these ideas of these drop-dead dates around negotiations um, uh, on something like Brexit. And they don't necessarily mean what it, they sound like. These drop-dead deadlines are sort of artificial sometimes. Um, sometimes they're sort of forced mechanisms to get people to the table and, and really drill down um, to get things done. You know, early 2021 starts to really look like a, a true deadline for a no-deal Brexit. Um, and the U.K. government has been saying that they don't have any intention to negotiate past mm-hmm. the end of the year um, and really put some heat on the EU to try and come to the table um, and hammer something out this week. I, again, I think a lot of that's posturing. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and there's there's some some truth to right. the sense of urgency. But the reality is, that, okay. you know, if today's deadline was Wednesday, you know, Wednesday's deadline may be a week from then. Um, these things have a way of, of, of pushing. And I think, quite frankly, like, investors are pretty tired of... of, <laughs> of you know who else Brexit is tired of it? Jonathan Farrow. Jonathan Farrow wasn't <laughs> buying all this noise either. So you and Jonathan, Trevor Hanger, uh, speaking from the same from the same uh, playbook on on that front. Trevor Hanger, strategic advisor with Forbes Tate Partners in Washington, uh, D.C. Listen, I, I, I try to follow Washington. I'm, I, you know, I, I follow Brexit, but I'm more into the crown. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for physical stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. Congressional talks on stimulus are slowing, but the government shutdown deadline is going to be delayed. This as U.S. COVID deaths now match April peak with hospitals still filling fast. We've got a lot to get through, including uh, an interview with Senator Ben Cardin, a Democrat from Maryland, who will call in this hour. The U.S. is now averaging about as many deaths per day from COVID-19 as it was in April when the pandemic ambushed the New York City area. And we've got sound on that topic specifically coming from Dr. Anthony Fauci, who spoke with New York Governor Andrew Cuomo earlier. Without substantial mitigation, the middle of January can be a really dark time for us. Meanwhile, Secretary of Health Alex Azar told ABC's This Week on Sunday that the COVID-19 vaccine could be available to everyone by the second quarter of 2021. We're going to focus on those most vulnerable and those most on the front lines of treating people with COVID with the initial 40 million doses in the next month. And then we're just going to progressively keep adding more and more people. So be thinking in the February, March timeframe that you're going to see more general vaccination. And by the second quarter of next year, we'll, we'll have enough vaccine for every American that wants it. Meanwhile, here in Washington, D.C., in the halls of Congress, Republicans and Democrats are still increasingly optimistic of reaching some type of fiscal stimulus deal by the end of the year. And Senator Bill Cassidy, a Republican from Louisiana, told Fox News on Sunday that he is himself thinking that this deal could get done sooner rather than later. 
Now, neither have said, hell, we'll sign your bill. That's fair. We have final language. Our final language, Chris, will probably come out early this week, earlier this week. Uh, and so then people can look at it and we can modify it as needed. But the indications I get, the pain of the American people is driving this. And I'm optimistic that both those leaders will come on board. And I want to note that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell spoke on the Senate floor earlier today, and he said that if lawmakers are not able to reach a government funding deal by the Friday deadline on December 11th, that lawmakers would sign a one-week extension. Remember, the omnibus and the fiscal stimulus package are being lumped together, which has made the process just a bit more complex. But again, some positive comments coming from both Leader McConnell and Speaker Pelosi. Michael Hardaway is the founder of Hardaway Wire. He is a political strategist and former spokesman for Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, a Democrat. And Matt Gorman is vice president at Targeted Victory and former NRCC communications director. Matt Gorman, uh, I'll start with you. The optimism coming from Leader McConnell is that ultimately this will get done. Is that what you're hearing from senators? Yes. Uh, it uh, kind of goes to McConnell's slogan. When you have the votes, you vote. And this was whole very surprised because both Democrats and Republicans, you asked them a week ago, week and a half ago, this wouldn't get done until January at the earliest. There's momentum behind this now. Um, and, I, and I think if you, if you, as you talk to lawmakers and staff that I've talked to, um, this from the bottom up, folks were demanding this. They were talking to members of Congress, and they realized that the situation was untenable. So I am optimistic. Ha, uh, Michael Hardaway, I, I'm looking at the issue of funding for state and local governments because that is has been the sticking point. Democrats had wanted significantly more funds for state and local governments than Republicans want. How are your? How is the Democratic caucus coming around to this notion uh, that $908 billion might be as good as it gets? I think Speaker Pelosi is in a tough position. There's no way House Democrats can go home without significant state and local funding and a significant uh, stimulus check for average people. Those are two things that, over the past eight to nine months, um, House Democrats have been hearing from their constituents as it relates to what they want. And, and all of the leadership meetings we had over the past six months or so, that has been the topic every single week as it relates to those two areas, state and local government funding and stimulus checks. And the other pieces of this bill are important as well, of course, PPP and others, but it's clear to me that in terms of what Speaker Pelosi has to put together in getting enough votes, uh, she's probably going to need to get some more state and local funding in there, and she's really going to have to figure out some way to get stimulus checks in there for everyday Americans. Well, I mean, it's interesting because to your point, Michael Hardaway, Senator Bernie Sanders has come out and said that he opposes the compromise because it doesn't have the $1,200 individual stimulus checks. Uh, Matt Gorman, uh, how, is that going to be a, is that going to be a political poison pill for Republicans should the stimulus checks get in there? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I don't think it will right now. This whole, uh, package and negotiation negotiation has been about momentum this entire time um and i think as you're seeing now with you know, eviction people talking about how the, the eviction moratorium will be up on january 1st student loan moratorium will be up on, on on january 1st uh this has some momentum behind it they'll be resistant right now I do think some form of this will be in the final package. And even even from the White House perspective, and now we're going to pivot to the White House just quickly, White House top economic advisor Larry Kudlow said earlier today that while President Trump has not endorsed the $908 billion package, he would likely get on board with it. I believe, this is what he said, quote, I believe that it is likely he will, but again, it depends, importantly, on some of the policy details inside. This is what Larry Kudlow said at a Washington Post virtual event. We're going to check in with Tammy Haddad, one of the driving forces behind that event, uh, on the Kudlow uh, event, but also uh, on this new shakeup in the media world coming up later on in the program. I, I bring this up, 
uh, Matt Gorman, vice president at Targeted Victory and former NRCC communications director, because President Trump seems more focused on Georgia and less, I don't want to say engaged, but but he's leaving this to Leader McConnell on the fiscal stimulus front. Is that the right assessment? It is. I mean, when you look at when Trump has gotten involved in, granted, let's keep this in mind. When Trump uh, messes things up on the Hill, it, he gets involved late. Remember the shutdown, omnibus, where people thought it was all secured, and then he kind of throws a wrench in it late. However, um, uh, the most successful thing in his presidency, which was tax reform, uh, at least legislatively, and, and, and um, uh, criminal justice reform, he left it the Hill. They, got, they proved they had the votes, and they forced him to sign something because he just wants to get something done. He wants to sign his name. So deferring to McConnell uh, and, in, you know, in turn, Pelosi and others is a good sign for this. The more he gets involved, the more hurdles we'll see. All right. Are either of you Washington football team or Pittsburgh Steeler fans? I'm or a New York fan. So I'm terribly, terribly uh, uh, miserable all the time. Who I wait? Who Matt? Who are you a fan of? The New York Jets. Oh, uh, well, now Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, is having a quarterback controversy. And listen, I'm Team Jalen Hurts. That's all I can say. I mean, you know who the most? I say it once. I'll say it again. The most popular player on a football team that's failing is the backup quarterback. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Coming up, we check in with Senator Ben Cardin. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Much more coming up next on Bloomberg 99.1. listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Just really a stellar panel today, folks. Matt Gorman, vice president at Targeted Victory and former NRCC communications directors with me. Michael Hardaway, founder of Hardaway Wire, political strategist and former spokesman for Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, Michael recently just left uh, working in Congress, and he launched uh, a Hardaway Wire. Uh, and you know, it's it's we're thrilled to have him on for the hour, and and for him to contribute and to join our rotation, uh, because he is just really a such such great perspective on the financial services sector and the industry, and uh, and the inner workings of 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 Congress. So, Michael, I I want to continue this discussion that we were having about what's happening in the lame duck on fiscal stimulus. But now let's spin it a little bit forward to January 21st, when President-elect Joe Biden is sworn in and he's going to be pushing for there to be more, another round of stimulus. And even just in in the last couple of minutes, the, the individual whom he's tapped to lead the Treasury Department, Janet Yellen, has just tweeted out that there needs to be even more infrastructure stimulus. How are they going to get Republican votes after they pass a $908 billion stimulus in the lame duck for another stimulus in January or February? That's a $64,000 question. The good news is that— It might be like the $2 trillion question. Go ahead. The good news here and the reason for optimism is that Biden spent 24 years in the Senate alongside Mitch McConnell. And if anyone knows how to work with Mitch, if anyone knows how to get things done, it would be Biden. But to your point, if they pass something now, I think it will be tough to get McConnell on board to come back and pass something again in Q1 of next year. Now, that being said, if we look at 2009 as a blueprint for how to start to turn economies around that aren't doing well, I think the Reinvestment and Recovery Act uh, passed under President Obama, which was roughly $800 billion, I think that laid a significant foundation to help turn the economy around. And I think right now we could use a similar effort. And so I think that President Biden has to at least consider another effort in this regard or an infrastructure package, and he could use 
the House version as a blueprint for that. The House so version me, was about $1.5 billion. Let me follow Sorry, up, billion. Michael Hardaway, before we go, we head on down to Georgia with Matt Gorman. Matt Gorman's already down there in Georgia having barbecue, I guess, or whatever the, the cuisine is. for. He's, he's Actually, he's prepping for my questions by watching Southern Charm. Uh, Michael Hardaway, in terms of the specifics, though, when you're when you're talking to Congressman Hakeem Jeffries or you're talking to Senator Dick Durbin, both of whom you've worked for, when you're talking to them or their staffs about who the Republicans are to target for a Biden presidency to bring them over, is it Susan Collins? Is it Rob Portman? Who are the swing vote Republicans in the Senate in the new Congress? It's interesting because I've actually had this conversation um, this week with a few offices as it relates to how this gets done. And I don't think it's really the Susan Collins of the world. I think, you know, for instance, if we're looking in the Senate, I think there is a real appetite by some in Senate Republican leadership um, to finally put together some sort of infrastructure plan. And I think that from that perspective, it's a question of relationships. And again, that's when you go back to having President Biden in office and having worked with uh, Mitch McConnell for 24 years, that being an advantage in terms of getting the ball moving. As it relates to the House, I think there's also an appetite on the House Republican side to get something real done um, in this regard. And I think that, you know, you would look at a Chairman of King Jeffries, you would look at a Steny Hoyer to yeah. work with Kevin McCarthy and to work with Mr. Scalise on getting something done. I do think there is a real appetite there. Um, and I think that it's something that, you know, you can make the argument as it relates to uh, the multiplier effect and stimulus advantage. You can also make the argument as it relates to uh, millions of jobs being created through that avenue. And I think it's a win-win for both parties. And I'm optimistic, but I do think getting something done now uh, does mitigate the chances of getting something done in Q1 of next year. Interesting. Matt Gorman, let me ask you the same question. Is the, is the way to get Republicans on board in a Biden administration to pitch the in issue of national security, to talk about infrastructure through the lens of digital infrastructure from a national security perspective? I think, quite frankly, that would find an audience based upon the conversations that I have with people even like Senator Lindsey Graham before they start talking about the, the deficit concerns. Sure. Uh, but I think it's also jobs. Uh, you know, look, back in the day, it was earmarks were used for potholes and bridges and, and things of that nature. Right. And so keep in mind the broader Senate landscape. You have Republicans. I wouldn't say it's a bad cycle for them, but there are some challenging uh, states for them. Pennsylvania isn't going to be an open Senate seat. North Carolina is going to be an open Senate seat. You have both Richard Burr and Pat Toomey retired, respectively. Uh, Ohio, Corbin's in pretty good position, but he's always someone who likes to kind of really try and run up the score. And so you want to talk about people who you could pick off. Toomey and Burr are retiring. Portman, who, even though he's a deficit hawk, um, you know, is someone who can wants to get things done and sh have tangible things to show the people of Ohio. So as these guys go into their reelects or, you know, whatever, um, or they're the sunset of their careers, having tangible things through an infrastructure package, having jobs, possibly, you know, the, the Pat Toomey Memorial Bridge, wherever the hell he, he's from, uh, could be something that is really impactful. And I would watch their votes. All right. Interesting. Uh, and now I, I want to head on down to Georgia and we'll talk about this more coming up. And and, and, and in just a, a couple of minutes, we're going to hear from Senator Ben Cardin, Democrat from Maryland. So we'll pick his brain as well on the fiscal stimulus front. But uh, there was a debate in Georgia. And, and let's hear a little bit from the Democratic contender, John Ossoff, uh, Ossoff, who criticized Senator David Perdue. Here he is. The reason that we are losing thousands of people per day to this virus is because of the arrogance of politicians like David Perdue, so arrogant that he disregarded public health expertise, and so arrogant that he's not with us here today to answer questions. So Asif criticized Perdue, and then you've got the other race, Senator Kelly Leffler. Uh, she was attacking uh, uh, Raphael Warnock, but she also had this to say about President Trump. The president has the right to pursue every legal recourse to make sure that this was a free and fair election in Georgia. And we know that these audits have turned up thousands of votes that were initially uncounted. And I've called for a signature audit. And the buck stops with the secretary of state. 
It is turning into a political battle in the Peach State. Much more coming up next, including Senator Ben Cardin. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Uh, Maryland lost a a political icon uh, today as Maryland's former longtime U.S. Senator Paul Sarbanes passed away at the age of 87. And the news was first announced by his son and current U.S. Congressman uh, John. Joining us on the line is uh, the, the now the late Senator Sarbanes' uh, successor, Senator Ben Cardin, Democrat from Maryland. Senator, thank you so much for joining us. And I just want to uh, offer you the opportunity to, to uh, put in perspective uh, just how much influence uh, he had. Well, Kevin, first, uh, thank you. Uh, Senator Sarbanes, what a giant for, what an incredible loss for our country, uh, a great loss in Maryland, a personal loss to me. We were first elected to the state legislature together in 1966. So we've wow. been friends for a long, long time. To me, he was a model legislator. He was a, the, the type of person you wanted to emulate. Uh, he had a commitment to public service, the highest integrity, left an incredible legacy, uh, a wonderful uh, individual, always well-prepared, respected by all, and able to get so many things accomplished uh, for the people of this nation. Uh, And he's going to be sorely missed. Precisely. And, and meanwhile, currently, I think I think it's a really good example of, of Republicans and Democrats being able to work together, especially as, as you know, Senator, folks are having this discussion. You're in, in very much involved in the negotiations of there being another round of fiscal stimulus. What can you tell us in terms of the timeline in the lame duck for when that fiscal stimulus might come about? Well, you're right about that. Uh, we are trying to work uh, a deal out, hopefully, and get it done as quickly as possible. I was on the phone today with my counterpart on small business, Senator Rubio, in an effort to try to resolve any of the issues involving small business. We need to get a bill done, and we've got to get it done now. And I am hopeful that this bipartisan group that came up with what's known as the 908 recommendation, $908 billion, that we can use as a framework and get it done uh, in a bipartisan way uh, to help uh, not only small businesses, but to help those who are unemployed, to help state and local government, to help deal with the vaccine distributions, all the current issues that we really need to deal with. Senator Ben Cardin's with us, Democrat from Maryland, and and he uh, is the ranking member of the Senate Subcommittee on Foreign Relations that oversees democracy and human rights. Uh, The chairman of that subcommittee is Senator Marco Rubio, the Republican from Florida. What specifically, Senator Cardin, do you and Senator Rubio want to see? Get into the weeds for us for small businesses, because that's what I hear about the most from people around town. Well, small businesses need another round of PPP. That was the Paycheck Protection Program that was so valuable when we passed it in mid-March. It kept small businesses alive. But we thought the pandemic would be over with by the summer. It was not. They need a second round of help. And we both agree we need to target it to the smaller of the small businesses and those that really had a significant revenue loss as a result of COVID-19. But we also need to, to target a specific grant programs under the Economic Injury Disaster Program for small companies. And we have suggested a program that would help with direct uh, grants to those companies to keep them alive. Uh, Otherwise, we're going to see as many as one out of every three small businesses uh, fold and, and, and not reopen if we don't provide some some significant help. We also have those businesses that rely upon large gatherings, the entertainment venues, Mm -hmm. the live entertainment issues. And we think we should provide some direct help to those uh, uh, venues that depend upon large gatherings uh, to provide some help. 
So there are, there are a variety of programs that we believe uh, that we should be able to come together and help, and we got to get it done soon. Grants, that's what I hear. I mean, you just said it, grants. That's what the business community, Main Street, really pushing for. Grants, not loans, grants. Let me ask you this. Uh, several Democrats in, in your party are, are apprehensive about a lack of funding in the 908 plan, the $908 billion fiscal stimulus plan, Senator, because of a lack of funding for state and local governments. How do you bring, how do you keep Democrats from from opposing this over that particular thorny issue? Well, this bill is aimed at getting us to the Biden administration. It's really aimed as a bridge uh, to uh, for the next few months, recognizing that uh, President Biden takes the oath of office on January 20th. It's going to take some time to get legislation passed through, through the Congress. So this can get us through the next couple of months. It provides help for state and local government, substantial help, but not everything that they need. That's for sure. Uh, I supported the HEROES Act that provided much greater support, but it was a longer-term program. This is a short-term program to bridge the next few months and get us to uh, the leadership under President Biden to submit what is needed moving forward. What about so January 21st, President-elect Joe Biden is sworn in. How does he, he faces maybe, I know, I don't want to say the Democrats are going to lose Georgia, but let's say hypothetically that he faces a Republican-controlled Senate. How does he, which senators will, be, will he be able to bring on board for another economic stimulus plan? Well, I am hopeful the Democrats will win in Georgia. But even if we win in Georgia, we need to work across party line to get things done. That's how it works in the United States Congress. And Joe Biden understands that. He's a product of the United States Senate. He worked across party line to get things done when he was a United States senator or when he was vice president. So he recognizes to do bipartisan work, you need to bring Democrats and Republicans together from the beginning to develop the legislation that you need to solve the problems of this country, whether it's COVID-19, our economy, the immigration issues, environment, uh, job growth, infrastructure. The list goes on and on and on. Joe Biden understands the way to get this done for the American people is to bring uh, a broad uh, number of members uh, on both sides of the aisle together to help craft solutions that can help solve these problems. Senator Ben Cardin's on the line with us. He's a Democrat from Maryland. We're talking about ways that Republicans and Democrats are working together even beyond the fiscal stimulus negotiations. I was struck by this. You recently introduced a piece of legislation with Senator Rob Portman, a Republican from Ohio, John Thune, a Republican from South Dakota, Bob Menendez, Democrat, New Jersey, that would fund a COVID-19 vaccination public advocacy campaign. This is uncomfortable, but uh, I, when I talk to, to folks around town, the question uh, uh, on the water cooler talk, the socially distant water cooler talk, joking aside, seriously, is are you going to get the COVID vaccine once once it's happened. I mean, that's what everybody's talking about. And now, how do you convince the public to trust the vaccine once it is readily available, Senator? Well, that's exactly right. That's why we've come together, bipartisan group of senators, for a public uh, awareness campaign to understand the realities and why uh, vaccines are so important, not only for your health, but for our community's health. And uh, I think that the more the public understands exactly the risk factors and benefit factors, that for the vast majority of Americans, they would want to take advantage of the vaccines. And that's the purpose of our legislation to get that information out so that Americans understand the importance of getting COVID-19 under control. Are, based on the briefings that you have on the vaccination front, are you confident that the United States infrastructure is prepared for a, a mass vaccination rollout in the coming months? Well, I think the pharmaceutical co companies have done a tremendous job in developing the vaccines. And as we know, we're going to get emergency use approval within the next matter of days. So we're going to stand. We have already produced a significant amount of the vaccine, but it's a challenge because it only can be stored in very cold, cold temperatures. Uh, you, you need to have a distribution system that's fair. It's now under President Trump's uh, direction, controlled by the states once it's distributed. I think you'll see a different plan come up under President Biden that will be more uh, directive as to getting uh, the vaccine distributed throughout our country to all communities. But, yes, I'm convinced that we have the product being manufactured in a safe manner and we'll have it available 
But the distribution is still going to be a challenge, and we need further direction, and I'm confident that the Biden administration will provide that direction. All right. My thanks to Senator Ben Cardin. He is a Democrat from Maryland. He's also a Baltimore Ravens fan, and I will say this. He was one of the instrumental folks behind the scenes that helped uh, link some of the players as well as the players uh, and, and the, the the ownership of the Baltimore Ravens to the criminal justice reform conversation that happened several years ago that ultimately led to the bipartisan passing of criminal justice reform. Senator Cardin was a force behind that. My thanks to the senator. Much more coming up with the panel. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Michael Hardaway still with me, founder of Hardaway Wire, political strategist and former spokesman to Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, a Democrat, as well as Matt Gorman, vice president at Targeted Victory and former NRCC communications director. We've been talking frequently about the fiscal stimulus talks through the prism of the halls of Congress, but it's important to note that White House top economic advisor Larry Kudlow said Monday at a Washington Post live event that President Trump hasn't endorsed the bipartisan proposal, but would, quote, likely, end quote, sign the $908 billion package, though the details matter. Tammy Haddad, CEO of Haddad Media, is on the phone line with us. She was uh, paying careful attention, to put it mildly, to that Larry Kudlow event at the Washington Post. And what were you struck by, Tammy, uh, by Larry Kudlow's remarks about where the president is on the fiscal negotiations? Uh, I I was not surprised by what he said. What he didn't say was how involved the president is in these negotiations. He said they've had multiple conversations, but he, he said that basically they put it in, you know, he said he called Mitch McConnell the lead negotiator. Do you ever remember the Trump White House no. calling anyone else a lead negotiator, no. guys? I mean, I don't. come on. I don't. That's the headline right there. It, it, it's a really fascinating point because as President Trump has been campaigning in Georgia ahead of the runoff elections, Leader McConnell, as well as Speaker Pelosi, really doing the, the heavy lifting. And we just heard that from Senator Ben Cardin. So, again, some headline movement from the Washington Post live event that White House top economic advisor Larry Kudlow spoke at earlier earlier today in which he said that he's essentially leaving it to, to Leader McConnell to negotiate uh, the, the, the $908 billion fiscal stimulus deal. He said what we all knew. All right. It's time now for my favorite part of the program, which is what is on the panel's radar. I'm going to go first because I, I called up Tammy in the, in the last hour and said, I've got to pick your brain on this because Tammy has advised and consulted and been a producer with virtually every television network uh, that exists. <laughs> Um, And there was a major, major announcement uh, in the Wall Street Journal just this afternoon in a Wall Street Journal news exclusive that MSNBC is going to name Rashida Jones president, succeeding Phil Griffin. Tammy Haddad, tell us what we know about this major media development. 
Well, I think it's complete changing of the guard. And what it is for viewers, because it is all about the viewers, right, is that everything is going to get shaken up. I think they're going to go back to news-driven programming, less um, opinion. You know, people can only take so much hand-wringing. And just to be clear for your audience, I'm an old hardball executive producer. I was political director of MSNBC. I'm all for MSNBC. But it's very hard to have hand-wringing, you know, 24-7 and to have the personalities very similar to each other saying the same thing. So I think it just really mixes it up. I, I read in the Journal of the Month before that the, that, um, the new CEO of NBC was not happy with the numbers for MSNBC. So they're, you know, they're looking to, you know, get bigger numbers. And you have to shake it up to do that. She also becomes the first black executive to run a major cable news network, which, of course, is a, a, a uh, glass ceiling shattering moment for uh, the media industry, Tammy. Yeah, I think that's right. And you know what's so great about her? Maybe everyone on the phone has talked to her at some point or another. Mm -hmm. She worked every single part of MSNBC. She toiled in the daytime field. She toiled in the debate field. She toiled in prime time. And she got the job the old-fashioned way, working your way up. And what's great is that she actually gets to execute a new strategy, and she's got the vote of confidence from the higher-ups. And here's the other thing. They've already laid people off over there. You know, each of the broadcast operations are laying people off because of the lack of revenue, the lack of advertising revenue. They've already laid people off. They've already cut salaries. So she can come in and be a hero and say, hey, folks, this is what we're going to do now on MSNBC. So not only does she get the job, but she gets to be a hero as well. And we'll all be looking forward to that. Remarkable. Remarkable analysis. Tammy, stay with us. Michael Hardaway, what's on your radar? That's some good news. I think the good. good news is... I love good news. You know, I was saying that to Tammy all the time. I miss having fun. Go ahead, Michael. Tell me some good news. Um, if it is true that the enemy of my enemy is my friend, <laughs> then I think the Democrats and Republicans next year uh, will team up on China and address that in the right way. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that we'll sort of keep the tariffs on that, that Trump put in place, but I think that Dems and Republicans will unite on IP theft and subsidies and tech transfers and all these other areas that we actually agree on. And I think that'll be good because we'll do so in partnership with our allies overseas and we'll do so in a much more effective way. You know, so and I think, I think I'm optimistic about I that. I think that's a really smart point because Tony Blinken's State Department, in terms of how they are going to be able to cultivate not just international consensus, but also Republicans like Senator Marco Rubio, for example, Ben Cardin, for example, on the left, uh, it, it, it that is going to be crucial to even potentially getting a, a Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen to to be able to coalesce forces for another round of economic stimulus. I still think, based upon my reporting, if Republicans and Democrats are able to pitch another round of stimulus through the lens of national security, digital infrastructure, they might find a sympathetic ear in Marco Rubio, Susan Collins, Rob Portman's of the world in the Senate. And they're going to need, let's face it, they're going to need a handful of Republicans in order to get that uh, piece of legislation passed. You know this uh, from your days on the Hill, which was just a little while ago, Michael Hardaway, but they just came out with a several hundred bipartisan uh, policy proposal about how to deal with the threat of the Communist Party of China. And that's going to be the blueprint for precisely what you're talking about. So great Great point. Uh, now let's pivot to Matt Gorman. Matt Gorman, what's on your radar? Oh well, my ra- on my radar is we had a little bit of a preview of it earlier this week, or I should say last week. Uh, team Doug Ducey, the Arizona governor, and Team Andy Biggs, who is formerly the Freedom Caucus chairman, uh, also from Arizona, were getting into a little Twitter spat over mandatory vaccinations. That is a new wrinkle in the Republican Party right now. Will it be mandatory? Le- uh, will Folks pass legislation for people in their states to be vaccinated. That is the coming fight we're going to see. And with it, we're going to see lawsuits. So even if it's not legislatures or the federal government even mandating vaccines, let's say American Airlines or let's say, you know, another private company uh, mandates vaccines to get on an airplane or get on, say, a Greyhound bus, lawsuits, injunctions, that's what we're going to see a lot of next year, as well as 
there really needs to be a very robust public uh, information campaign around the two doses because that's what worries me a little bit. How do I know uh, what which which vaccine requires one dose versus two, um, and how do we kind of keep up on? who has what dose when. So those are two things on my radar. Yes or no. When it comes to the vaccines. Yes or no. Will you get the vaccine? <laughs> Matt Gorman. Oh my gosh. What? Michael. Oh, sorry. Say that again. Sorry. Yes or no. Will you get the vaccine? Oh, absolutely. Tammy Haddad, will you get the vaccine? Tammy? I don't know if we still have her. I don't, I, I don't, I, that might not be her fault. That might. I got might... so excited. I oh. hit my mute button. Oh. Okay. Listen. <laughs> we I have like 30 seconds. I don't care. Here's the rule. No one can come back on Kevin's show unless they get the vaccine. And that's what companies are going to do. If you well, that's the legal fight. Yeah. You're going you're going to go to the business that has a sign in the front that says all my employees have have the vaccine. All that's right. what I want to tell no, you. No, that's that's incredible. No, you're right. And that's the legal fight. I was just reading about that over the weekend uh, about how they're going to get the documentation and, and whether or not that documentation is going to be allowed. Thank you to Tammy. Thank you to Michael Hardaway and, of course, Matt Gorman. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Radio. I had fun, even though my Eagles lost, but they're putting in Jalen Hurts. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.